Welcome, everybody here at Kenwood. Welcome to Encounter Fulton Heights as well. We're in part two of this series, Five Words to Change Your Life. And last week for fall launch, grand opening of Fulton Heights, um, I asked everybody to like pull out your phones and uh, scan that QR code. And uh, one of the things uh, that we believe God called us toward in this season for this next year is to invite, uh, invite you all, invite us on this journey of taking a thousand courageous steps towards new life. Christ. And, and we define this courageous step towards new life in Christ by worshiping for the first time, serving, joining a small group, or, or giving for the very first time. And I'm just so thrilled, I'm so excited to say that almost 250 of you at Fulton Heights and at Kenwood online as well uh, took a courageous step towards new life in Christ. And it just, it blew everybody around here sharing, it just blew us away, just God's goodness through it all. So I'm super pumped. Absolutely, let's raise up a hallelujah to God for his faithfulness. So good, so good. Uh, listen, we kicked off the series last week, and we asked everybody, hey, listen, if you'd like to get this devotional, you can text five words, all one word, number five words, to 94,000, and we'll do this like midweek devotional thing. So I just want to give you that reminder as well to kind of stretch this conversation in through the week. Last week, we kicked off the series uh, with our first word, and the word was yes. Yes opens new doors. Today, we're continuing this series with an equally important word, the word is no. Now, yes opens new doors. No guards your life and, and protects you from harm. The, the word no uh, guards your family. The word no guards your finances. The word no can keep you in good or at least decent enough health. There's power in the word no. No sounds a bit like, like self-deprivation, right? Like, oh, why would I want to deny myself? So why would I say no when I could say yes? But listen, behind every wise and strategic no is an even better yes. That's the opening doors possibility part of no, because no guards you, no protects you. This is a silly illustration. I'm just going to own that. But it spoke to me, and maybe it's going to speak to somebody here. I love, especially this time of year, I love spending time outdoors. Bugs also love spending time outdoors and kind of around me, a little too close to me. So I found this, uh, it says on it, it says, I found this bag of bug system, right? Where it's, uh, it's about as complicated as it looks. It's a bag shaped like a funnel and the bugs go down the funnel and then they can't get out and I'm looking at this thing in like the pesticide aisle and I'm like going there's no way there's no way this thing is gonna work I mean like come on it's too simple right there's this little scented uh, pad thing that tempts the bugs to come on in you know there's love potion for bugs and, and then they crawl down in the funnel and even though the mouth of it is pretty wide they get stuck at the bottom and they and they don't come out and I'm looking at it going no way so i do what I can, you know, I'm just give it a shot anyway. It was cheap. And so I walk out to the back of my yard, basically as far away as I can get from my house to get this thing as close as I can to my neighbor's yard. And I'm like, okay, we'll set it in the back, set it up in the back. And as soon as I open that little, like, uh, little scented packet, these bugs just start, like, swarming me. And they're, like, bouncing into the side of the bag, and I, like, hang it on the thing, and I walk away, and I watch as these bugs and beetles, like, find their way through the funnel down into the bottom of the bag. And I'm watching it immediately start to fill up. And I'm watching these bugs swarm on this thing, and I'm going, how does this work? How do they fall for it? 
Like, can't they see this, like, accumulation of little bugs in the bottom of the bag? Can't they hear the little bug cries, like, stay away from the bag. It smells good, but you're going to get stuck. You're going to get trapped. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, man, bugs are so dumb. I'm not, though. I would never fall for that. I would, I would heed the warning of my, of my friends, of my brothers and my sisters, of my community that says, stay away, don't make the same mistake I did. Resist the temptation. Say no. As I slam into the side of the bag because I can't wait to find my way in and never get out. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about getting stuck in the power of no to just resist this thing entirely. Because some of you look back and you're going, man, man, I wish I would have said no. I, I, would have, I wish I would have listened to the advice of my parents or my youth group leader instead of my boyfriend. I wish I would have said no. I wish when it came to weekend planning, I wish I would have said yes to what, to what my small group at church said and said no to what my housemates were going to do. I wish I would have said no. I wish, I wish I would have taken the advice of a financial planner instead of the Instagram ad. I said, I should have said no. I wish I would have learned from somebody else's mistake as they went down into the trap and could barely come out as they screamed at me, just save yourself and say no. See, the thing about saying no, the, the, this word, is that we used to be really good at it. Like, I don't even know many of you, and I don't know your story, I'll admit that, but I do know that there was a time when you were a two coming up on three-nager, when you were good at saying no. In fact, no was like your go-to word. It's time to go pick up your room. No. Eat your vegetables. No. Share your toys. No. Do you want dessert? No, wait, hang on. The answer to that one was yes, right? But we, there was a time when all of us, our go-to answer was just no all the time. But something happened. Something flipped. I think somewhere along the line, we learned how good it feels when, when we say yes to somebody else. A along the way, we learned that, that when we get to please somebody else, like, like we get this adrenaline, like like little kick, and it feels good to be liked. And the more we say yes, the more we're liked. And it comes at a cost. You guys play the commitment decommitment game? <laughs> I've got like this much margin in my schedule, in, in my life, this much breathing room, and, and I'll just cram it, stack it, pack it with so many commitments and so many things, so much stuff that it's like spiritually suffocating. Why didn't I just say no? Uh, Shauna Nyquist is an is a author. I like her stuff. She highly recommend. Uh, she writes about the, the difference yes and no in, in one of her books. And I just wanted to share it with you. She says, yes, here's the problem. Yes is fun and sparkly and, can, and is printed on tote bags. But no? What if you saw somebody wearing a sweatshirt that just said no? I don't want to sit next to that bundle of fun. 
but no became the scalpel I wielded as I remade my life. That's my aim for us this morning, that we wield God's scalpel of no as he remakes and reshapes our lives. You see, oftentimes we go to God and, and we have like this sense, whether you're a Jesus follower, a Christian, or, or not yet, you're not quite there yet, um, we kind of have this sense that, that God, is a, God is a God of deprivation. He just doesn't want to have, he doesn't want us to have any fun. Anything fun, he always says, don't do that, right? But if we take his word seriously and we believe that on the other side of a wise and strategic no is an even better yes. We can start to see this is God's scalpel that he's wielding to reshape and reform our very lives. And there was one person, one man, who did this so incredibly well. At his baptism, Jesus goes in the water of the Jordan River. He comes out. There's people around. They hear this booming voice above. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. It's father, son, Holy Spirit. Everybody on the shore, I assume, has to like, pick up their jaws from the bank of the Jordan River. And then when Jesus has everybody's attention, he leaves. And he shows us the power of a strategic and a well-placed no. By going out in the desert, in the wilderness. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, immediately following all this stuff, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Thank you for the insight, Luke. That is so appreciated, Captain Obvious. I think it was possibly an understatement that Jesus was hungry. It's been 40 days. Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Uh, a couple things that I knew and one big thing that I didn't know coming into, uh, into this message I want to share with you. Uh, some of you maybe have heard this story before. That's okay. Uh, you, you hear this story. Jesus says man doesn't live on bread alone. Uh, it's a reference. He's quoting an Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy takes place as God leads his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the wilderness. For 40 years, they're wandering around, uh, eating nothing but bread, like, like manna, this cracker dust that you could eat. Jesus is wandering around in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Going without, depriving himself. He's fasting for 40 days. They did this. 40 years wandering around. And just as they're about to come into this promised land, we hear Moses speaking on behalf of God, addressing the people. Man does not live. You and I, we do not live on just bread alone. That's a part of it that I knew already. What I didn't know, the job of an Israelite pre-Exodus, before the wilderness thing, before all of this, while they were still in Egypt, when they were slaves, their job was to build storehouses for grain. Which is interesting to me because the, 
the attitude of the Egyptians was that when you have more than enough, when you have so much that what you have is being threatened by rotting away because you don't have enough space to store it, what you need to do is build bigger barns. And when you have so much that you can't even consume everything that you have and it's starting to rot and so you build bigger barns, it's okay to suppress and to subjugate certain people groups around you that don't have as much so that you can store up your excess. I think that the Israelites picked up on that. I think that God's people, having lived in that setting for hundreds of years, it settled deep down in their psyche, even deeper into their hearts. And I think when they left Egypt, that thought of there's no such thing as too much is never enough. I think that message Egypt carried with them. And God knew God knew that if Egypt didn't break them, that attitude would. And so he taught them for 40 years in the wilderness. Every day I want you to wake up and walk out of your tent and, and you're just going to see this, this edible cracker dust called manna. And I just, I want you, I want you to learn what it means to trust me. Just, just trust me every single day with that day's provision. I want you to know where never enough truly leads you. See the temptation that the devil offers Jesus in this first temptation. There's three. The, the first temptation of the devil to Jesus is, you are what you have. I love. And just think it's, it's so rich that in God's wisdom, a euphemism for money today is bread. Not a translation thing, none of that. But I just can't help but make the application that man doesn't live on just bread alone. Man doesn't live, you and I, we don't live on just the accumulation of stuff all alone. The temptation here, the devil comes to Jesus and says, you are what you have, just accumulate more, have more. And Jesus responds with the first practice, the first no that would encourage us on our journey is just say no to more stuff. Say, say no. Say no to accumulating more. Um, a recent Netflix documentary where all the best sermon content comes from. Uh, on the, the minimalists, uh, they, they were bloggers and then they made it big with a, with a Netflix show. Um, they just, they live on very, very little and I followed them online and so I got to watch the Netflix deal. And uh, one of the guys, it's a, a friend pair, one of the guys, Josh Milburn, he writes about, you know, why, why he is the way he is. I'm a minimalist now. And he said, I, I grew up in the 1980s, Dayton, Ohio, and we, he goes, we were super poor. We had so incredibly little. And he goes, growing up as poor as we did, um, our family situation, it was, it was broken, and it was awful, and it was unhappiness around every corner. He goes, I misplaced the source of the unhappiness and thought it was because of our, of our poverty, of, of because we had so little. 
And because of that, as soon as I could, I got myself a corporate job and I worked my, worked my fingers to the, to the bone and just put in all of the available hours. I earned more and spent more than anybody else around me. He goes, my breaking point, my aha moment came. When I'm married, I got a couple of kids. My oldest wants to play catch in the yard. I want to play catch in the yard. But I already promised my wife that we could, that I would, I would clean out the garage and then I would do the fun stuff then, that I would want to do. And so he goes to his son, who just wants to play with dad. Would you play catch with me? No, no, no. Uh, I got to clean out the garage and then, and then we'll play. Okay, early afternoon, hours go by. He's cleaning out the garage. He finds his son, tracks him down. Hey, I'm ready. Do, do you want to have that catch now? His kid's like, what? Dad, that's past news. I'm, I'm done. He had totally forgotten. He'd moved on entirely. Josh, dad, is walking away. And he, he realizes the stuff he was cleaning out of his garage. He's going, there's pool equipment. There's sand toys. There's lawn games. There's soccer balls. There's all of this stuff that's meant to bring his family together is now functionally ripping them apart. Is it possible that maybe the stuff you have is keeping you from the life you want? A temptation to Jesus. You are what you have. It's time to accumulate more. There's no such thing as enough. And Jesus meets that temptation with our first practice is just saying no to more stuff. You know what this is called. Potentially. We're going to meet some old-timey biblical words. This one's called, it's, it's a fast. Jesus meets saying no to more stuff. Jesus fasts from this. He fasts from bread. He fasts from the stuff. He breaks from it and says just no. It doesn't, even, it doesn't have to be a forever no, but it's a temporary no to say, you know what? I know where that treadmill of accumulation comes from, and I'd like to get off the ride early, please. I'd like to, to find out firsthand that I can live on less by my choice rather than trying to figure out what the Egyptian never enough is all about. And so he fasts. Now, Jesus, Jesus fasts from food. And if you're thinking about employing this practice, I want to just tell you, like, the uh, fast, a biblical fast is not, biblical fast, first of all, is not a way to demand God's attention. It's not like the leverage point of, like, I'm going to hunger strike, God, you better pay attention to me or else. It's not a way to leverage God's favor on you. The death of Jesus Christ, God's son, won you the favor. We don't do that to God. It's not a leverage point to God. That's not why we fast. It's not, it's definitely not like losing that last 10 pounds, right? Like that's my goal here and that's why I'm fasting. That's not what it's about. It's about finding, it's about finding enough at a lower threshold temporarily so that you don't, you don't get on that treadmill cycle of accumulation that you can never quite get off from. We can fast from food. We can, we can fast from shopping, online shopping. Church, we can fast from electronics, it's, da it's dangerous, I know. Last week I made a joke like we touch our phone like 20,000 times. So like pull out your phone just in church. It's okay. One more time. 20,001 isn't going to hurt anybody. The, the truth is we touch our phone 2,600 times a day. Some of you are bringing that average up. I recognize that. It's okay in church. We're, we're an honest people. Assuming you're not holding your phone while you're asleep, which could be an assumption leap for some of us, uh, that means that we're, we're touching our phone uh, about two and a half times 
every single minute, I just can't help but, but wonder if some of that treadmill cycle of accumulation is like, I just need one more video, one more feed, one more story, one more picture, one more post. Has it left you fully and finally satisfied ever, ever? An electronic fast looks like saying, you know, I am just as happy or more without this as I am with this. I was saying no to more stuff. Resist the temptation that you are what you have. There's another temptation that the devil offers in verse 5. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God, but when it comes to my work, I'm going to work only for my maker. I'm going to work only for the Father. Serve God alone. You see what the devil does? The devil brings Jesus up to this high place and look around. Look at, look at all of the authority of all of the kingdoms of the world, all this splendor. Listen to me. If you just do this one thing, if you just work for me, I will give you the most impressive resume the world has ever seen. People will look at you, they'll respect you, and they'll honor you. And all you have to do is work for me. All you have to do is to sacrifice your life to me. Sacrifice your heart to me. Sacrifice your soul to me. Sacrifice your family to me. Sacrifice it all on the altar of achievement. And then all of this could be for you. I was going to bring a picture. I was going to bring a picture in, but honestly, it was just too embarrassing, and I thought better of it. I was going to bring, bring a picture of, of my own, like, calendar. I use a Google Calendar, and it's, uh, it's color-coded, which makes it really, really pretty, and also just a giant mess, right? Because it color code everything, like uh, yeah, work and home, different, different color calendars, wife, work and home, different calendars, uh, like my daughter, son, different color calendars, like school stuff is on there, days off. I mean, it's just, everything is a different color. It's a beautiful rainbow mess because it's all on top of each other. And as I was like preparing this and saying like, man, this is, this is a mess. I'm reflecting now, uh, March 2020. You remember that? Those were some weird times. Anyway, uh, everything, like my calendar went from a beautiful rainbow mess to like white space. Like nothing was on there. I haven't played more board games in my entire month as I did March and April combined. You know, as we, as we went through that, like many of you, you know, my wife and I, we looked at each other and we said, some things, some of these changes are going to be permanent. That life going forward, we're going to keep some of the habits. Fast forward 18 months. Calendar, crowded. <laughs> On Thursday, 
I forgot to drop my son off at his piano lesson. His teacher goes to this church. So apologies. <laughs> Not because it wasn't on the calendar. It was. We checked. Whose fault was this? Who forgot to? It was just crowded out by everything else. To borrow a phrase, <laughs> oops, I did it again. <laughs> you too? temptation that the devil offers Jesus is you are what you do. Jesus meets the temptation with his response, our second practice, and says, say no to, to doing more. Jesus said no to doing more. Think about this. Whether you're a Christian or not, some of you just kind of still exploring that possibility, you will probably concede that the life and ministry of Jesus, whether he was who he says he was or not, it had life, it had world-changing implications. Like he had that effect on human history. Think about this. Jesus begins his ministry, a, a world-changing ministry, thousands of years later by saying no to just about everything and everyone. He does not start his ministry with recruiting and calling and training his disciples. He doesn't start it with a, with a healing. He doesn't start it with feeding of 5,000. He starts his ministry by retreating by himself in the middle of nowhere. And he's asking us now, now that you've seen how I start, would, would you walk in my footsteps? Would you, would you follow me? Would you follow after me? Guys, I've played that game, follow the leader. I've got an eight-year-old we love to play, follow the leader. We play it walking, we're doing funny, you know, arms spinning around in a circle. We play it on bikes. This week we played it on a, on a bike, right, where we, you know, wherever he wants to go, I'm just staying right behind him, and then he'll go up a hill, you know, and then, and then I go up a hill, and then he goes down because I've got a little more mass on me. You know, I go down the hill a little bit faster than he does, and I don't want to break, so I kind of just go right around him. This happens a few times. He's so frustrated. No, get behind. You know, Dad, slow down, slow down. This week, he gets off his bike, kickstand down. Oh, boy, here we go. Walks over to me, helmet, visor to visor, snaps right into me and goes, Dad, if I'm the leader, you have to follow. Stay behind me. Well, the logic is sound. <laughs> I can hear the echoes of our Lord and Savior. I am your leader. Stay behind me. And I can't even say, yeah, but Jesus, I've got important things to do. You, you want to do a lot. Sometimes you have to strategically and wisely do very, very little. Another old-timey old practice. We had fasting earlier. This one is, is Sabbath. A Hebrew word literally just means stop. I saw an interview with a Formula One race car driver, like the really, really fast cars. And he said the most important, he was asked the most important part on a race car. Like engine, I don't know, does that count as one part? It's probably more than one part. You know, tires, steering wheel, like what is it? He goes, I, I don't know, I think the most important, Formula One driver, most important part on a race car is the brake. Now, I drive a late model Hyundai, so like I am not the one to talk about going fast, okay? But like, not a Formula One driver by any stretch, but really, like the part of the car that's most important for going fast is the brake that stops you. Yeah, 
strategically and wisely coming into especially a corner, a turn, decelerating at the right time, lines you up, picks your, your area, your bank on the turn so that you can accelerate coming out of it. The most important part in going fast is learning how to strategically and wisely go slow. Biblically, it has a word. It's called Sabbath. Jesus starts his ministry with stopping and says, follow me in this. Come after me in this. Uh, temptation one, you are what you have. Temptation two, you are what you do. Temptation three, uh, verse nine, the devil then led Jesus to Jerusalem, where all the people are, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. And he gets a little smart with him because he recognizes, you know, I should quote some scripture here. And so the devil says, for it is written, he'll, con he'll command his angel concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting... He left him until an opportune time. Jesus, you come to the temple where the people are. Jerusalem, the capital city. Jesus, if you're on the top of the temple and you're looking down, there's a courtyard right below us. And if you time it right, at the right time of day or on the right day of the year, Jesus, if you time it right, the, the courtyard is going to be crowded. There's going to be people everywhere. And you throw yourself off. And Jesus, isn't it written that, that your father isn't going to let you die here? Not like this. In front of all of these people, you throw yourself off. And the angels will catch you on their pillowy little clouds and harps. And, and they'll either raise you back up to the top. Or maybe they'll like gently kind of like fall you down like a leaf to blow. And everybody will see. I mean, Jesus, you will have instant celebrity status. The followers that you'll gain. The likes that you'll receive i mean instant influencer status they'll probably give you a blue check mark like right there verified messiah look at him and jesus recognizes the temptation and he goes i see what you're doing the temptation that all i am is what they think that i am no no i will not fall for it i will say no to empty applause because if you live for their applause, you will die by their criticism. Jesus says no to empty applause again and again. Let's, let's come back to the beginning. We talk about why it is that we struggle so much with just saying no. Saying yes. Isn't that because we like to be liked? That it feels good when people think highly of us? When they think that we're an achiever or that when we're capable and available? That it feels bad saying no because a no is a disappointment. And we don't want to disappoint. We follow a Messiah who disappointed again and again and again. This is, this is a guy, Jesus, who disappoints the crowds on several occasions. When they want to force him to become their king to boot the Romans out, he has to look at the crowd and disappoint them by saying, no, no, that's not my kingdom, that's not my way, that's not who I am. He disappoints these close friends. James and John, they only wanted to sit on his right and his left. And they said, and he said, this is not the kind of kingdom where you sit on my left and on my right. It's the kind of kingdom where you hang on my left and on my right. I don't think you get this. He disappoints them. 
Jesus disappoints those religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, who said, you got to just stop hanging out with this kind of, like, those people. And Jesus says, I will not. I'll disappoint you before that happens. And he comes before Herod, and Herod goes, you've got your life on the line, pal. You can get out of this. All you need to do is a little miracle, like, like, it's, a, like it's a trick, like it's a magic trick, and I'll let you go. And Jesus says, I guess I'm going to have to disappoint you again and again. They put Jesus up on a cross. And the people, the same people who cheered for him earlier in the week when he came in, now walk by and they sneer and they laugh at him. They insult him. He saved others, Jesus. Why don't you save yourself? And he's got to disappoint yet someone else by saying, no, I won't save myself. I won't let myself off from this cross. I'm going to say no to that generous offer to alleviate my pain because I want to say yes to a resurrection. I want to say yes to new life. I want to say yes to love everlasting. I want to say yes to forgiveness. I want to say yes to grace. I want to give a strategic and well-placed wise no to experience an eternally and infinitely better yes on the other side. The temptation comes at Jesus again and again and again. You are what you have. You are what you do. You are what they think that you are. And Jesus says no to accumulating more stuff. I'll fast instead. Jesus says no to doing more. I'll Sabbath instead. He says no to empty applause to say yes for eternal life. Can't you feel yourself beating against the side of this bag? Wanting in? Knowing it's a trap and it'll take your life and leave you with something what can't be described as life. Life is in no. Is in saying no. We learn about fasting, we learn about Sabbath, we learn about saying no to empty applause. What is your no? What's your strategic, well-placed and wise no to experience God's far better yes on the other side? Church, I'd like, you, I'd like to invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Kentwood, Fulton Heights, wherever you're watching from on your front porch or in your living room, let's stand up together. During this last song, we're singing about waiting on God. We're singing about his yes later on. During this song, we have a prayer team set up in the back at Fulton Heights and at Kentwood. We would love nothing more than for you to join us so we can pray with you. You can offer a request. You can just simply go back and the prayer attendant will just start praying for you. This is community. We do life together. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you as the one who said no first off. And you showed us the power of the strategic, wise, and well-placed no to say yes to what you have in store for us down the road. God, we need your supernatural insight and wisdom, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our heart to whatever it is that's seeking to trap us and capture our hearts, our minds. 
empty praise, a crowded life, accumulation of stuff that's keeping us from life. God, it's all sucking us dry and keeping us from you. Give us those two powerful letters. No. Until we find out what your yes is, God, we're simply going to wait. Wait on your goodness. Jesus, it is in your resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.